podcast of sermons by Pastor Charles St. Ange, LCMS missionary in Montreal, Quebec, and the Caribbean. The text for today's reflection is Romans 14, 1 through 12, and our theme is Essentials and Non-Essentials. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. So, when I was learning Latin, in high school. And yes, I actually took Latin in high school. It was an elective offered at Gloucester High back in, uh, in Ottawa in ninth grade, so I took it. I remembered learning this proverb, de gustibus non est disputandum, which for those of you not familiar with Latin, which is probably almost all of you, literally means about tastes, there can be no dispute. Or you might say in Colloquial English, there's no accounting for taste. The point of the proverb is that every one of us has been created with different tastes, different sensibilities, different aesthetics. One piece of artwork can evoke great emotions in one person, and in another person it just falls flat. One piece of music can evoke great sense in one person, and in somebody else it just is horrible. Sophia and I were talking about rap music the other day. Sophia, not a fan. I'm not even sure that it's music, and yet I know there are a lot of people for whom it is a great art form, and it's the one thing they turn their radio to as soon as possible. When I was associate pastor in Houston, Texas, we had both a men's retreat and a women's retreat every single year. And The differences between the retreats kind of illustrate just the aesthetic differences between the genders. So when I went on the women's retreat, we would have, for snack time, wine, usually rosé, or sometimes white or red, and big, giant bowls of chocolates and candies. When I went on the men's retreat, we had beer, scotch, tacos, and a lot of salami, just as one illustration. Now, there's a similar expression of this proverb in Latin that we use within the Christian church. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. But in all things, charity. The point of that proverb is the same as the proverb in Latin. Our aesthetics do play a role in our Christian faith, but we don't judge one another on our tastes. And this is, in fact, the theme of Paul's last words to us this year from his epistle to the Romans. It is actually what he's trying to get at in Romans chapter 14. What do we do with people's tastes? What do we do with people's aesthetics? What do we do with the things that people feel draw them closer to God that for us might just seem maybe even silly? How do we distinguish between what is essential to the Christian faith that we dare never abandon and what are the things that are the non-essentials in which we want to display amongst each other great charity and love? Well, when it comes to the essentials, there is no question that that is what Romans 1 through 11 
is definitely all about when it comes to the faith. Somebody says to you, what religion do you practice? And you answer Christian. And they say, what does that mean? Your answer should look something like what Paul is talking about in those first few chapters. That whether Jew or Gentile, we are all sinners before God. We have all failed to keep the law as given through Moses, and we have all failed to obey our consciences too many times. And so our only salvation is not in the things we do, but in the thing that God has done for us in Christ at the cross. That it is there in that event that God declares us to be not guilty and applies that work of the cross to us in baptism, chiefly, where we both die with Jesus and are raised again with Jesus. We call ourselves confessional Lutherans. I don't know if you've all heard that phrase, but if somebody says, what kind of Lutheran are you? I know Emily and Avery for sure would know, and I would know, and those of you who have traveled have known to ask, are you a confessional Lutheran church? Now, what we mean by that is not that we have confession. (laughs) Even in my first Lutheran seminary I went to, there was a fellow classmate that thought that's what confessional Lutheran meant, that we confess our sins and are absolved. No, confessional means that we confess the faith as it's described in the Lutheran confessions, the Augsburg Confession, the Apology, the Small Called Articles, the Formula of Concord. We believe that these are the clearest and most precise explanation of precisely what God has done for us on the cross in Jesus and how what Jesus has done for us continues to be offered to us daily, weekly, monthly, in the gifts of the font, the gifts of the altar, the gifts of being able to forgive sins. Then in Romans chapter 12, Paul pivots a little bit and says it's important that we discern what is the will of God. We talked about this, right? How do we discern what is the will of God now for those of us who have been cleansed in the blood of Christ and are now called to live in the world as members of his body? Paul says those saved by Christ no longer see the law as a judge, but rather see it as the template for the lives that we live out of love and service to our neighbors. Masks. Social distancing. This whole new way of practicing communion. Why do we do these things? Because we're afraid? I hope not. Fear isn't becoming of Christians because we know, as Paul says in Romans 14, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. And there's a great hymn in our hymnal that we would all be singing, if only we could. One of my favorites. Many of you have heard me sing it at the gravesides of your loved ones as we've laid them to rest. No saint on earth lives life to Christ alone, or dies alone, for we with Christ are bound. So then, if we live, in Christ alone we live, and if we die, to Christ our dying give. And living and in dying, this confess, we are the Lord safe in his faithfulness. We don't do these things because we're afraid. Neither we do them because the government told us we have to do them. We do it to protect our neighbors out of love for them. 
that we might demonstrate to the people who do live in fear, who do live in hopelessness, who do not know a Lord who would care enough to die for them, that we might not accidentally spread the virus to them. This is what Paul means when he says discerning the will of God, that now our lives are no longer our own. We live for the sake of others. Faith, Romans 1 through 11. Discipleship, Romans 12, 13. Identity and action. These are the essentials of the Christian faith. So what then are the non-essentials? That's where we come to Romans 14. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Non-essentials, the aesthetics, the taste, do not waste time disputing them. I prefer red carpet. I prefer blue. I prefer loud singing. I prefer that we keep things quiet. I prefer bright churches. I like old Gothic stone churches. De gustibus non est disputandum. Instead, apply the essential teaching of Romans 14. Love one another as Christ has loved you. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Now, when the Reformation was happening, the issue of essentials and non-essentials came up frequently. Because for the medieval church, everything was essential, except the gospel. And here was Luther turning everything on its ear and saying, no, the one thing that you have sort of said is not an essential in preaching and teaching. We are going to move back to front and center, back to the front of our classes, back to the pulpits. And all these things that you have said we must do to be Christian, the reverence of relics, pilgrimages, Corpus Christi festivals, large, long, and elaborate services, these are in fact the non-essentials, the things we do not need to do. But we can, but we don't have to. And so as the Reformation period was evolving, the Lutherans had to address this question. What do we do with the things that other Christians are saying are essential, but that we say are in fact simply a matter of taste? The formula of Concord, part of our confessions, I talked about being confessional Lutheran, Romans 1 through 11 Christians, there is an article on what's called adiaphora, which is the fancy Latin way of saying the non-essentials, the tastes, the aesthetics. It had to do with all the customs and ceremonies that were happening during worship services. Not the word, not the preaching, not the consecration and distribution of the Lord's Supper or baptism with water, but all the other stuff that was happening over the three, four hours that you might be together for a medieval church service. And so to establish things on paper, this is what the Lutherans agreed to. To settle this controversy, we believe, teach, and, here's that word again, 
confess unanimously that the ceremonies or church usages which are neither commanded nor forbidden in the word of God, but which have been introduced solely for the sake of good order and the general welfare, are in and for themselves no divine worship or even a part of it. And then they quote Matthew, or Jesus, as written in Matthew, In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. They then say, we believe, teach, and confess that the community of God in every locality and every age has authority to change such ceremonies according to circumstances, as it may be most profitable and edifying to the community of God. But in this matter, all frivolity, there's your $100 word for the day, frivolity, and offenses are to be avoided, and particularly the weak in faith are to be spared. Here's the balancing act, right? Romans chapter 14. We have the ones who will eat anything and everything is good to them and they do it all in honor of the Lord. Then you have the people that only eat vegetables. And they're like, that's all we should eat. We shouldn't be eating meat at all. And the Lutherans are saying, how do we hold both of these people together, uphold them, strengthening in their faith, recognizing that these views are non-essentials, but pointing them continually in preaching and in teaching and in worship to the cross, which is what really matters. Now they're building, of course, on Luther. Luther himself, who is at the center of this maelstrom and all of these changes that are happening, you have certain Christians who have dug their heels in and said, nothing is going to change. And then you have other Christians who are saying, we're going to change everything. Smash the stained glass, throw out the statues, everything must go, fire sale on anything that is of worship significance in a church building. In the middle comes Luther. Because for Luther, first and foremost, the faith is about the people. It's about the sheep. And it's about making sure that as under-shepherds, we are strengthening what you believe. Luther looked out at his people and said, there's a whole pile of people that do not speak a word of Latin. Remember that Latin thing I said? They don't even have one course of grade 9 Latin in high school. And yet the entire worship service is in Latin. And Luther's like honest. He says, and I, I, I like it. <laughs> I like the Latin. But what good is my liking it if I have a whole pile of people in Wittenberg and elsewhere that are coming that cannot hear about a God who has loved them in Christ and his cross? And so Luther felt obligated to write a order of service in German. And this is what he writes in the preface to this service before he sends it out to all the churches. He says, in the first place, I kindly and for God's sake request all those who see this order of service or desire to follow it, do not make it a rigid law or entangle anyone's conscience, but use it in Christian liberty as long, when, where, and how you find it to be practical and useful. 
For this is being published, not as though we meant to lord it over anyone else, but because of the widespread demand for German services and the general dissatisfaction caused by the great variety of new masses, for everyone makes his own order of service. And some of the best of intentions, Luther writes, but others have no more than an itch to produce something novel, so they might shine before men as leading lights rather than being ordinary teachers. As is always the case with Christian liberty, very few use it for the glory of God and the good of the neighbor. That is what was important for Luther. Does it glorify God? Does it serve your neighbor? Most use it for their own advantage and pleasure. But while the exercise of this freedom is up to everyone's conscience and must not be cramped or forbidden, nevertheless, we must make sure that freedom shall be and remain a servant of love and our fellow man. Where people are perplexed and offended by these differences in liturgical usage, however, we are certainly bound to forego our freedom and seek, if possible, not to offend them by what we add or take away. Well, that's a lot of words to throw out at you, but I could summarize it this way. Everything for Luther was laser-like focused on keeping both the vegetable eaters and the meat eaters not focused on each other and who was eating what, but both focused again on Christ in whom we live and move and have our being. For if we live, we are his. If we die, we are his. And we leave behind the meat and the vegetables and the color of carpeting and the number of hymns and the style of hymns and all of that behind in order to be in the presence of the Lamb. So you see how Luther applies this, right? He doesn't say you shouldn't do this or you should do this, but rather make sure whatever you do, you are doing it for God in Christ and for the love of your neighbor. We change nothing for the sake of change. We do it to edify people and instruct God's people. And part of instruction in a time of disunity is the unity in our worship across our confessions. What we do here is because what we have agreed to across our Lutheran church body. So that when somebody comes here, like the Stones, eventually, when they come out of quarantine, and they sit with us in worship, we'll feel at home. They'll say, I recognize this. And therefore, I can have the confidence that the Christ that is being proclaimed at Ascension is the same Christ being proclaimed from the scriptures at confessional Lutheran churches around the world. Now, here's where it gets interesting. What if you're forced to do something that is a non-essential? What happens is somebody comes and says, you, and I'm not talking about a Christian, but somebody up above us, is you are going to do X, even though we know we don't have to. This was the last move that the Lutherans made in their confessions. And it's an interesting one. They said this, We believe, teach, and confess that in time of persecution, 
When a clear-cut confession of faith is demanded of us, we dare not yield to the enemies in such indifferent things. As the Apostle Paul writes, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand fast, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So let me give you an example. In the 1800s, in Germany, the Reformed churches and the Lutheran churches were kind of forced to all be together. Hey, you're all Protestants. Get along, is what the ruler of Germany said at the time. Figure it out. Lutherans are like, okay, as long as we can keep preaching the gospel, which was great for a while, till the Reformed pastors showed up at the Lutheran churches and said, we notice that you are not being very particular about the wine you're using. It is now a rule and an order that you must only use red wine in the Lord's Supper because it looks like the blood of Christ. Now the Lutherans are in a quandary. We don't really care whether the wine looks like the blood of Christ or not. We just know that it is because Jesus says so. We leave it at that. Rosé, champagne, in theory, although I wouldn't recommend it. Red wine, white, it doesn't matter. It's not about the wine. It's about the command and promise of Christ. So reflecting on what I just read to you from the confessions, the Lutherans put down their foot and said, you're telling us we have to use red wine? We are now only going to use white wine. Because you are making us do something that is a non-essential. You're making us eat vegetables when we know that we have the freedom to eat meat. And being good pastors, they did not want the people in their pews to get confused. Say, why do we now only have to use red wine when before we could use any kind of wine. And now suddenly it was no longer about the promise of Christ. Take, drink, this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Now it was about what kind of color is in the cup. It gets more interesting. I've heard certain my Lutheran brethren say, therefore we have to use white wine because of what happened back in the 1800s. So what do I say to them? You're no better. You've just done the same thing. There's nobody coming and checking in on Ascension from the Presbyterian Church down the road to say, oh my goodness, are you guys using red wine? Nobody's checking up on us. We are free in the gospel. And so you see how even within our own confession, it's so easy to make laws about non-essentials. You have to have banners. You can't have banners. You have to sing only hymns from the 1600s. You can't sing any hymns from the 1600s. You have to have an organ. No, you have to have a piano. No, you have to have a service at least two hours long. No, it can only be half an hour long. And I could go on and on. Paul says to us this morning, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty but in all things, charity. This is the final test. You're wondering, is this something essential or non-essential? If doing it could lead people to or away from Jesus in our preaching and witness, 
if doing could bring doing something or not doing something could bring disrespect upon the work of our God in Christ outside these walls, then it's an essential. And we don't want to change it. And you're going to hear me preach about it and hold us accountable to it. But if doing it only causes controversy amongst ourselves, or not doing it only causes fights within and among ourselves, and actually leads people away from Christ and his cross, you can be pretty sure it's a non-essential. And in those cases, we let it go. There's no accounting for taste. God has created each and every one of us unique in those things. We uphold those things. We appreciate those things. We cherish those things. But we do not dispute over opinions. We proclaim Christ and Him crucified and Him alone. In the name of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to learn more, visit intheway.org. Thank you for listening, and God bless your week.